Welcome to the LifeCast. We hope that you find this ministry of New Life Assembly of God as an encouragement to you. You will hear messages and lessons in God's Word by our staff and special guests. Enjoy the podcast. Well, you at home, when I say He is risen, your response should be, He is risen indeed. He is risen. Amen. Woo! Worship team, God bless you. He's alive in you. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Easter, everyone. Thanks for joining us today here at New Life Assembly of God in Sparta, Wisconsin. And uh, it is Resurrection Day. Of course, for the believer, every day is Resurrection Day. But today is a day where we remember the past, the impact upon our current time, and in our life today, each of us, and into the days that we are given ahead of us, into our future, and for all eternity. For He is the resurrection and the life. Amen. Well, listen, we're going to start right out in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 10, first 10 verses of that chapter, uh, Gospel of John chapter 20. I want to read this to you. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooped to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the rest of the linen and folded up by itself in place. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Apostle Paul, he wrote this. Because if you want to know who raised Jesus from the dead, here are a few verses to let you know God's power, Jesus' authority, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote, Romans 6, 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Now, I want you to remember, those who believe in Jesus... Uh, They follow in the waters of baptism. And when we baptize, we go down under the water, a representation that we are now following Christ. We have died to ourself, and we are raised new in a new life. We have been resurrected. We, We fellowship in His death. Okay, on the cross, we know that Christ rose, and so this physical expression of being under the water and coming up, the water doesn't wash anything away. It's the faith that is in our heart and Jesus Christ, and His blood washes away our sin. Because we couldn't pay for our own sin to make it to heaven. Our, sin, our, our blood isn't pure like the pure Son of God. And so He paid for our sins. And those who believe... We, we know that He has come to change our life. 
And so Paul talks about this repeatedly throughout the New Testament in the, the letters that he wrote to the churches that we get to glean from today as part of the, the God-breathed Scripture that brings instruction and teaching and correction and life transformation for us. And so this, this baptized, we are baptized with him in his death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. By the glory of the Father. Peter was speaking to Cornelius in the book of Acts chapter 10, verse 40, and he says this, But God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. They went to an empty tomb. They were worried. Who took Jesus? Where did he go? Of course, we know that in other accounts, the, <laughs> the angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? A pronouncement that Christ is alive. He was crucified. He was dead. He was put in a tomb. He descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And he conquered hell. Now I'll tell you, that's the guy that I want to follow. That's the God that I want to pray to. Listen, there are people all over this world who pray to some God or some person that is not alive. They never came back. Who is it you want to pray to? The God who's living, the God who can hear, the God who can see, the God who can act and speak and get our attention and work, into the, work in the hearts of men. Why? Because He's alive. That's the God that I want to pray to. That's the one that I've you know, put my life aside for to follow. Not that my life was so great. It's just you know we forsake ourselves. And try to, with His help and mercy, follow Him. That I put other things aside to follow Him. Please. Why would I follow someone who's dead? I want to follow somebody who knows how to beat death. Somebody who knows how to rob the grave. <laughs> somebody who knows and made a way to the Father in heaven. That's the person. That's the guy. That's the man that I want to follow. The one who has the answers to the stuff we face in this life. One who has words of life that help me conquer my past. Words of life that instruct me in how to change. That can work in my heart and impact me. Just like people impact us here on earth. And we change because of that impact. I want the impact of Jesus upon my life that produces change. Because I still need it. You can ask my wife. Don't ask her, but you could. I still need change. God's still working on me. And how can He do that? Because He's alive. And this, I'm not just following some words of wisdom of some dead guy that sound nice or seem moral. Or seem like some philosophy that seems good or better than the way I think. 
No, we're talking about Jesus, the Son of the living God, who gave his life because he loves us and loved me and didn't want me trapped in just some philosophy, but gives me words that are living and active and disturb my carnal soul to the point of transforming me that he can help me begin to walk in the same spirit that raised him from the dead because that spirit can dwell in me, in you. Look at this. John chapter 10, no one takes it from me. Jesus speaking about himself and his life. says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, my own willingness. And then he says this, I have authority to lay my life down, and I have the authority to pick it up again. This command I received from my Father. Now, I don't know how the conversation went. And we know that the triune God is a one Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't know if there was conversation. But it indicates here that he received a command from the Father. And I don't mean to make this too casual, but... Son, you're my only begotten son. We created humanity in our image. And humanity... Is sin, has sinned. And they have all been born into sin because of original sin. They're at enmity with me. I want to send you to pay for their sins, to make a way for us to have relationship with them that they would be saved because they cannot save themselves. And so, son, I'm sending you in human likeness. We made them in our image, but I'm sending you in their likeness to walk that earth, be born of a virgin, be a child who becomes a man, who will be a teacher, and you will have disciples, and there will be one who will betray you, the son of perdition. It would have been born best if that person was not born. But you will go, and you will be betrayed, and you will suffer, and you will die a criminal death, though you will not sin. I give you a will, but I know you, son. You love me more. You love me more than your own life. And I will turn my back and forsake you on that day because you will bear their sins because I cannot look upon it. But I give you, I command that you have authority to lay down your life and the authority to pick it up again. His Father raised him from the dead. Jesus raised himself up from the dead. Now listen to this, the person of the Holy Spirit, the third, we call the third of the Trinity. And if the Spirit, Romans 8, 11, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, God, the, the Godhead, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, was involved in raising Jesus from the dead. 
And Paul writes and says, if that spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, in you, in me, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Listen, why would we follow ourselves or pray to some dead God or some man or woman who, who went on and maybe they were, uh, you know, heralded as great among humanity and they did marvelous things and they came up with a philosophy or named a philosophy after them or a religion after them, but they never raised from the dead. That their spirit doesn't dwell in you because they're dead. Jesus raised to life and says, if that same spirit that raised Jesus dwells in you, that gives us hope. It gives us a future. It gives us an eternity. Why would you follow a dead guy's philosophy or some idol made by the hands of men? Why would we follow that when there's no hope in it? There's no future in it. There's no reality in it. It is death and death alone. Because in them, death was not conquered. But in Jesus Christ, sin and death and hell have been conquered because he rose from the dead. Peter wrote this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all. Can you say all? That's you. That's me. He died for us. All of us. Doesn't matter where you're from, what you face, what your history is, what's been done to you. Doesn't matter what color you are, what language you speak. Doesn't matter what side of the tracks you were born on, if you were born on the tracks. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're Finnish. Doesn't matter if you're German. Doesn't matter if your roots are from Africa or South America. Or if you're from rural America. Doesn't matter if you're white. I want to remind you, Jesus wasn't white, just for all of you who feel like because you're white, you might be a little better. Jesus was Jewish. Jewish! Not American, white. He was Jewish. He was Hebrew. He's from Israel. Born of a woman and born of the Father in heaven. Listen, doesn't matter. He died for all. The righteous Jesus, he died for the unrighteous. That's me. That's you. Why? To bring us to God. That's why he gave his life, was to bring you to God. He's the bridge, he's the usher. He's the one who was sent. He was the one who was given the plan, and this is what's going to happen, and you're going to have authority to pick up your life. Why? Why? 
to bring us to God. Listen, would you let him bring you to God? Just as you are, just as I am. Broken, filthy, unworthy, messed up. Would you just let him bring you? He died for you the way you are. Let him worry about the cleaning up process. Just let him bring you to the Father in heaven. A dead person can't do that, but a living person can. One who can work in the hearts of men, heal broken bodies, men's souls, set us free from the past. One who can give us peace when we feel like we don't have the answer or some closure or whatever else in our life, that he can bring us peace that is greater than the torrent of our soul or our troubled mind. Bring us peace that is greater than any circumstance we can face on this earth. Let him bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. That's what Peter wrote. Listen, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is there and before his crucifixion and before his resurrection. And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law. Um, smart, smart, smart guys. Smart men. And they said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. In other words, prove to us that you're the Messiah. Prove to us you're the Christ. Now Jesus has already been teaching and doing things by this time. But they come to him. Say, give us a sign. And he answered this. He said, you wicked or perverse or adulterous generation, you ask for a sign, but none will be given to you except the prophet Jonah. Of course, they knew the historical account of Jonah. And you probably do too. If not, you can read the book of Jonah. He said, no sign will be given you except a sign which has already been given to you, the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, or where the souls of those who do not live among us. They've had this life already. He says, I will go into the heart of the earth. That will be the sign. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and will condemn it. In other words, in the time to come, those who were in the city of Nineveh, who Jonah eventually preached to, who repented and turned their hearts to God, they will, in eternity, down the road, when those who were among Jesus at the time would not believe in him or turn their hearts or repent, he said, Nineveh will condemn you for not believing. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And Jonah was flawed. Jonah was like you and I. 
But they still repented at the message of God. And here, the Son of God is present. Jesus says, they repent at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone, something greater than Jonah is here, and you still will not allow me to bring you to God. You see, Jonah, he was called to go to Nineveh and preach the message of God so that people would repent and be saved. Jonah, he was so disgusted by the people of Nineveh, he said, I am not going to go there and preach, God, the message you give uh, me for them because they will repent, and I don't think they deserve it. I am not going. And Jonah, he goes to to, uh, Joppa, and he gets on a boat, and he starts sailing away. I am not going to Nineveh. You know the story. And the storm grows. And the people on the ship with him and the boat with him, they're they're getting scared for their life. You can read the dialogue between them and what's going on and Jonah. And Jonah pleads with them, listen, this is my fault. Throw me overboard and the sea will become calm and you'll all be spared. Well, they didn't want to listen to him. Well, finally they said, we're so desperate, we're so scared, we don't want to lose our life. Let's throw them overboard. One, two, three. I don't know if they really did that way, but, you know, that's how I used to toss my kids into bed at night. One, right, two. So it's kind of the image I have. And they toss Jonah over and comes along a fish that is great and huge and has been prepared by God for this moment and comes and swallows up Jonah and the seas become calm. See, Jonah said, I will, you go ahead and throw me over. I will, I know this judgment is from God and if you throw me over, you'll be saved. What a parallel to Jesus. Jonah had this problem because of his own sin. Now Jesus, he gave his life to spare us all, like Jonah gave his life to spare those on the boat that they'd be saved. But it was because of his own sin. Jesus gave his life because of our sins, not his own. He, he gave his life to spare us because of our sins. He laid his life down. What parallels here between Jonah and, and what he told those uh, Pharisees and scribes and attorneys of the law? He said, the only sign you got has already happened. It's a sign of Jonah. See, he was in that great fish for three days. I will descend into the belly of the earth. The belly of hell. After three days, when Jonah was in that whale and Jonah decides to call out on God, says, okay, I will go to Nineveh and I will preach your message to those people. And God has that fish get so repulsed by the presence of Jonah living in him that the, the great fish, I, I'm really trying not to call it a whale because, you know, 
It was. It says great fish, huge fish. But all the Sunday school stories say Jonah and the whale. So I might say, whale, don't write me a letter or send me an email about my theology. Just let it go. All right. So Jonah, finally repulsed by the whale and God's involvement, the whale vomits him, throws him up on dry land. And Jonah, he heads off to Nineveh, dripping with whale spit. That's what he's doing. Hey, listen, things could have been worse. I want you to remember this. There's only two ways out of a whale. I'll take the front, thank you very much. You know, heads or tails, it better be heads. <laughs> he heads off to Nineveh, preaches the message. And people repent. They turn their hearts to God. They, turn, they put their faith in God. They make things right again between them and God. That's the sign. Jesus will descend into hell for three days. And on the third day, he will raise again. And he will be seen among people. And the testimony of his ability, his power, that he's the Son of God, that he could raise himself, that the Father by his glory would raise Jesus. The Holy Spirit would raise Jesus from the dead. And that people who hear that message are still repenting to this day and asking Christ into their heart and into their life because they want to pray to somebody who hears, somebody who's alive, somebody who can speak, somebody who can involve themselves and steer us in this life, someone who is working on our behalf behind the scenes to bring us to God, trying to change our heart and contend with our will. That's why Nineveh will condemn that generation that Jesus was among because Jesus was greater than Jonah. Jesus gave his life for other sins. Jonah gave his life for the others on the boat, but he was flawed. Jesus was perfect. And that when Jesus shows up after three days, there will be a great repentance for all time throughout the earth. Will I turn my heart, my life, to the one who's alive, who knows the way from this life to rob the grave and bring us into eternal life to finally usher us into the fullness of knowing God who created us, who made us to have fellowship with him, relationship with him. He didn't create us to be enemies. He created us to, to be his children. want to read this to you. I can't take credit for this because this is a sermon from the 1800s, this little excerpt. I want you to hear this because as Jesus descended and into hell and he conquered sin and death and hell and took the keys of death and hell, Jesus governs. He has authority. Listen to this. Then death and hell, terrible powers as they are, are not left to riot without governance. Death is a land of darkness, as darkness itself without any order, yet a sovereign eye surveys it 
and a master hand holds its keys. Hell also is a horrible region where powers of evil and a terror hold their high court and dreaded assembly. But hell trembles at the presence of the Lord because death and hell could not hold him. Can you, for a moment, as he descended into hell, he was dead. He descended into hell. And the powers of hell are thinking, he's ours. And all of humanity is ours. We will rule. We will reign. Not God. And then they found out that they could not hold Jesus that he resurrected from the dead and that he governs and he has a higher authority. But hell trembles at the presence of the living God and there is a throne higher than the throne of evil. Let us rejoice that nothing in heaven or earth or in places under the earth is left to itself and with an engendered anarchy everywhere serene above the floods the lord sits king forever and ever no province of the universe is free from the divine rule things do not come by chance nowhere does chance and chaos reign nowhere is evil really and permanently enthroned rest assured that the Lord has prepared His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules and reigns over all. For if the lowest hell and death acknowledge His governance, how much more all things that are in this world that we should know that He governs here. That hell will answer Evil will answer. But they do not have the utmost authority. We may look at what goes on in this world. But that is this world. Because of sin. But Jesus has made a way. In this life, it's like grass. It withers. And breath will leave our body. But our spirit shall return to God who made it for those who believe. Who have faith in this grace of God. This resurrection power of God. Rest assured that the Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. For if the lowest hell and death acknowledge his government, how much more all things in this lower world. It is a delight for us to observe. We read in these chapters of Scripture that the government of hell and death is vested in one person, the man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He who holds the keys of these dreadful regions is described by John in Revelation, one who is like the Son of Man, and we know that He was our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. John saw a strange and glorious change in Jesus but still recognized the old likeness when he saw him. Perhaps it was the nail prints in his hands or other marks of Jesus' manhood, which he had seen in Jesus while he was still in the days of his body. What an honor 
is thus conferred upon mankind, you and I. To which the angels did say at any time, You shall bear the keys of death and hell. Death and hell could not hold him. And he governs with all authority. He's got keys. He can lock it up. He can shut you in. He can shut them in. He can release us. He can set us free. Live with a hope in a living God. Listen, Paul wrote this, and you're going to see this on the screen in front of you. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism. You heard me talk about this earlier. Into death, in order that just as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we ask Christ into our hearts and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, it is supposed to bring us into a new life. We remember our past. We got some baggage from where we've traveled, a collection of memories and hurts and frustrations and the, thing, the, the difficulties that we face in our body. But when we put faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in, we're to be transformed that we no longer live under the influence of our baggage, but we are born again, living under the influence of the Spirit. We are born again of the Spirit. That we know our past but we don't live under the influence of the things in our bag and we unpack it and we just keep wearing it from day to day. No, we have been clothed with the power from on high in Jesus Christ that our life can change and that when our life changes, it is a testimony, an attention-getter to all others who are walking around carrying their bags. And some of them know our baggage, but they see us living free from the baggage. And they see change. And they notice a difference. We're to be that living testimony that they too could be brought to God. The grace that was shown us, the power in our life, that they could taste for themselves, not just observe with their eye and their ear of what they see in us that's changing from what we used to be to who we are and who we are becoming all by God's righteousness, none of our own, that they could drop their bags and say, tell me, speak to me, how are you changing? What's the difference I see in you? Why? Because you pray to a living, resurrected God whose spirit quickened him and quickens you that he too can live in them. That message that would cause Nineveh to repent. 
not the hard-heartedness of those who stood around the Son of God himself and still asked for a sign and wouldn't believe. You know, this testimony of a changed life, it is the thing that puzzles philosophers, smart men and women, many of them unbelievers, but when they stick to the purity of philosophy and the, the, the rules of apologetics in arguing points, those who are unbelieving philosophers, those who don't believe in Christ or the resurrected Christ, some of them have admitted on their own fruition out of the purity of philosophy They said, there's one thing that we don't quite grasp. That if I became a believer, it would be because of this man, Paul. You see, when we look at the resurrection of Christ and the reality of Jesus, and specifically that Christ raised from the dead, we can argue and disagree and look at interpretation but they said when we come to the life of Paul and we dig into the history of the life of Paul and look at the the books that have been written and the things that have been recorded from that time about Paul and his studying under uh, Gamaliel and some great teachers and all that Paul accomplished and a Pharisee of Pharisees and all these accolades that came into his life even going around now stoning killing persecuting those who believe in Jesus, the resurrected Christ. They say, we look at his life, and all of a sudden, we see a change in him. Why would he give up all that he has accomplished and the promotions in his life? Why would he give all of that up now and change, leave it all, When others would look at his life and say, man, if I could be like that, if I could accomplish that, if I could be respected like that, oh, if people could look to me with that kind of admiration, he gave all of that up when he experienced the risen Christ. You can read it in the book of Acts. And philosophers look at the historical books, not just the history of Scripture. They look at it and they say, Paul... He, there's a point where he, he left it all and he became like this different person. I mean, who would give all that up and become someone who stitches and puts together tents to pay for his bills so that he can now follow Christ and preach the gospel? The philosophers say, listen, if I was going to believe in a resurrected Christ, it would come down to Paul being the very testimony, the very life that could put me over the fence. Because it does not make sense that a person would give up all of that for this. There must be some value that is greater than that which is praised by men. That which is greater than self-promotion and the satisfaction of accomplishment and the things that we pursue in this life. You see, a changed life, a changed heart, a changed life is proof of an encounter with Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to be. If we have been buried with him in baptism, 
and raised with him in new life, then that new life should be evident in us that we are going through a transformation and we are different. And it speaks of Jesus. No one can do that on their own, but it's the Spirit of Christ that lives within us. Jesus. Because he's alive. Dead men can't do that. Jesus rose from the dead. That same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in us that we can be this new uh, life, this new person, this born again of the spirit. That our baggage, we don't live under its influence. We live under this new influence of Jesus and his word and his ways. And we battle, but the spirit overcomes the flesh. Because the spirit is alive. And the Spirit governs as we submit our heart to Him. You see, the testimony that Paul has been to some of the smartest around the world, even in recent days, we're supposed to be that influence. A believer in Jesus Christ, the one who's resurrected from the dead and gives us hope and a future and a changed life and a power to overcome ourselves and overcome our past, And follow Him and we will overcome death because through Him we overcome sin and death and we do not have to descend into hell. He's made a way for us to bring us to God because He's living. That's to be us, a changed life, a testimony of the truth of Christ, the cross and His resurrection power. Thanks for joining us on the LifeCast. It is a ministry of New Life Assembly of God in Sparta, Wisconsin. If you are ever in the area, we would enjoy the opportunity of meeting you. Until then, remember, God is for you, not against you.